We will come together for our midweek studies this evening. Once again, it is really good to be together and enjoy this time of fellowship and study and prayer and worship. Hope and pray your, your week is going really well, and it's good to see all of you out. I'm going to do another shout out to my mother this evening. She's been listening in. First, Mom, if the sound system messes up again, she's been complaining about that, then the guy you want to see is right here, right behind Ken in the orangey red shirt. <laughs> so, Secondly, about this time of the day, well, really way before this time of the day, my mother's usually really zapped. And so, um, as is the case with many people in the audience, I've been putting her to sleep uh, lately. So she'll probably, she'll probably be snoozing here a little while. We'll get right to our studies. Let's bow together. Holy Father who is in heaven, we call upon your great name this evening and ask that you would be with all those that we know of who are hurting, those that might be sick, those who need your help in many special ways. We're mindful especially of Will and the things that he needs, the critical condition that he is in, has been in, Pray for his family, Lord. We continue to call upon you to watch after them and, and that the, the means that can help him the most might be, uh, might be found and used as soon as possible. Lord, there are many scattered around us, among us, who are struggling with different sicknesses, and we pray for them as well. Lord, we're mindful of your everyday goodness. We thank thee, Father for providing our needs, the things that we need every day. We look to you, O Lord, for guidance, and we're thankful that you give that to us. Lord, we thank you for these scriptures. We pray that as we open them up, that you would open up our hearts, that you would help us, Lord, to see your truth and to put that above and above everything else, all of our thoughts, and help us to be guided by your word. Lord, we pray also that you open up our hearts and our hands, our houses, our pocketbooks to those around us who are hurting, who who have special needs. Use us, Father, to help and serve others. Help us to be open to that. Lord, we pray your blessing upon the congregation here as we meet this evening, as we study together as we have our devotional time. Help us all, Father, to be strengthened. Lord, we we pray for every effort that's being made now, through every means that's that's being used throughout the brotherhood to spread your word and spread your gospel. We're thankful to be able to be part of those efforts. Lord, we looking so forward to being at home with you. We pray, Father, that your coming may be 
soon, but that you would also help us to use the time in the best way as you give it to us here on this earth. Look down upon us, Father, we ask you and beg you in your tender mercy. Look down upon us. We go, to, we go astray, Lord, and we, we seek to come back to, to thee. We turn from our ways, our evil ways. Help us, Father, and please forgive us. We ask these things, Father, in the name of your Son, and accord us to his shed blood. It's amen. In our discussions this month about seeking those who have gone astray and thinking about helping people to come back, I want to ask this question for us. Bring them back to what? Bring them back to what? What is our goal? Bring them back to what? And I want to pose the idea of what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to be a Christian? I'm going to ask for your help also this evening here in just a little while. What does it really mean to be a Christian? Sometimes when we are seeking to help someone come back, we stop short because we begin to define being a Christian as simply having somebody back around, back at the, in the pews, back around church. That might be a good start, but is that really what it means to be a Christian? Now, as we get started, who can tell us, who can remind us of the three places where the word Christian is found in the New Testament. There are three places in your New Testament where the word Christian is found. Who can get us started on that? They were called Christians first in Antioch, our sister says. Yes, Acts 11 and 26 called Christians first in Antioch. Acts 11.26. Okay, who can add to that? That's one. In fact, there in Antioch is where Paul and Barnabas was executing their ministry in that city, Antioch of Syria, and were doing much work there, and that's when it says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. All right, let's add to that one. What's What's another place? Okay, Acts 26 and 28. What is that about, Mark? Then Agrippa said to Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. All right, Acts 26, 28, when Agrippa said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul says, I want everybody in this room to be as I am, except for these chains that are on me. Peter 4, 16. All right. Okay. 
So the third one here is 1 Peter 4.16. Mike was reading that for us. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. All right, so those three references is what we have, the name uh, Christian. What I want to do is spend just a minute or two reviewing for us that God wants us to be called Christians. This is God's designation for us. This is God's name for those who truly want to follow him. I want to go over that with us. And then over one other thing, and then I'm going to open one question up uh, to all of you. So let's do a quick review of the fact that God wants us to be designated uh, as Christians. Okay. Um, notice what Mike brought up here in 1 Peter 4, verse 16. Notice that carefully. Peter said, the Lord doesn't want us to suffer as a meddler or as an evildoer, or as a thief, or a murderer. But he says, 1 Peter 4, 16, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. That's a great thought within itself. But then notice what he says. Let him glorify God in this name. That shows us right there that God wants us to, to be called Christians. He wants us to refer to each other as Christian. He wants us to refer to uh, coming to Christ as the possibility of becoming a Christian. Okay. 1 Peter 4, verse uh, 16. Now turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Notice some of his remarks. James 2, starting about verse... 5, James 2, verse 5. He says, Listen, my beloved brothers. James 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones, are not the rich the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones, notice this, James 2, verse 7, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Notice how James makes reference here to the name Christian, and he calls it an honorable name, okay. which again implies that this is what God wants us to be called, the word, the idea of Christian, Christian. And then, this is interesting, that it it seems to be the case that the name Christian was actually part of prophecy. God actually prophesied about this. So let's turn back to Isaiah right quick. Isaiah chapter 56. Book of Isaiah. 56. All right, Isaiah 56 and verse 5. Isaiah 56 and verse 5. It reads like this, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name 
and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Look over to Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62 as well. Notice verse... Verse number 2, Isaiah 62, verse 2, The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings will see your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. Okay. Now, if that is not the name Christian, this everlasting name of Isaiah 56, and this new name that will come out of the mouth of the Lord, Isaiah 62, then I don't know what name he's referring to. It's especially interesting here that in Isaiah 62, verse 2, it says the nations. Some of our older versions may have Gentiles there. Does your, does your Bible have Gentiles? Okay. The better translation is Gentiles there. The Gentiles... The nations abroad, the nations beside the Jewish nation. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness. Okay, And then it says, and you should be called by a new name. Now put this together. We referred earlier to Acts 11.26. Think about the chronology here. Okay. Peter is given the keys of the kingdom. right? He first... Opens up the door to the kingdom with those keys, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. But then later, Peter with those same keys of the kingdom goes, Acts chapter 10, where does he go? Goes to the household of Cornelius, opening up the kingdom to the Gentiles. Okay. And from there the gospel goes on over into Antioch of Syria, and then it is there that we read that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That makes complete sense. It makes a really strong connection to Isaiah 2, you see, with the ends where the, it says the Gentiles will see his righteousness and be called by a new name. Okay. So God wants us to be called Christians. Okay. We, we glorify God in this name. It is the honorable name by which we were called. It is the new name in prophecy. And you remember there in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 through 13, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13, that Paul, by inspiration, rebukes some in Corinth. Why? Because they were beginning to be called by human names. Some were saying, I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. I am of Apollos. And Paul says these kinds of things need to be rejected. And we are to be of the same mind. Okay. The same body. One body. One spirit. Same mind. Okay. And then notice this with me before we leave this idea. Turn over in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 24. Acts 24. This is when some accusers are coming down to Felix and Paul now has been transferred under the 
the care of Felix, one of the rulers of that day. Some of the accusers come. And notice how they describe the situation. They're, they're accusing Paul. Verse 5, Acts 24, verse 5. They say, we have found this man a plague. That's what this translation says, a plague. One who stirs up riots among all the Jews. Is that what Paul did? One who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect, S-E-C-T, of the Nazarenes. Okay. So, some in the world begin to call the Christians a sect, S-E-C-T, which means just people who love to divide, people who love to stir up and cause division. Okay. But notice, this is not the name that was received among the Christians. This is not the name that Peter has in mind through which we glorify God. So there is a rejection of human names, and there is a rejection of names that are made up by those of the world. And you're left with the name Christian. This word sect here, S-E-C-T, means division. Over in Galatians 5, verse 20, this same word is used, and it's it's put among the works of the flesh, Galatians 5, 20. The furthest thing that a follower of Christ wants to do is to to divide people in an unnecessary way. The furthest thing from the appeal of Christianity is division. And those of us who follow the New Testament, we have a strong appeal to people for unity because we are standing on what we consider to be the truth. The New Testament covenant is God's truth. That way we can be united. So the Lord wants us to be called Christian and Christians only. We're not a certain type of Christian. No such such thing as a certain type of Christian. It's, It's either you're a Christian or not. And we just want to be Christians and Christians only. All right. So another thing I'd like to mention to you before we open up our discussion a little bit is to notice specifically how one becomes a Christian. And you're going to be happy to go over this again. I want you to see that what we're trying to do here is to show people the way. And the way we do that is for everybody, like we're doing tonight, is to have our Bibles open and so that people can read it for themselves. It's the most honest, it's the most effective way of doing Bible study. Okay? We're not to tell people so much what the truth is as we are to show them, to show them. And so that's what we're trying to do. How does one become a Christian. You just don't wake up one day and, and declare yourself a Christian. How does one become a Christian? Well, let's start in Matthew 28, verse 19, where Jesus gives the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice the command there is to make disciples. Make disciples. 
the carrying out of that command is through baptizing them. Okay. We might say, um, go work in the yard cutting the grass from the sidewalk back to the ditch. Okay. The command is to go work in the yard. How do you carry out that command? By cutting the grass from the sidewalk uh, to the ditch. That's what the construction here that's similar here in Matthew 28, 19. Go make disciples. How do you carry out that command? Baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So to become a disciple, technically, one must be baptized in water for forgiveness of sins. Now, as we've made reference to, back to Acts 11:26, what do you read? And the disciples became what? The disciples were called what? Disciples. The disciples were called Christians first uh, in Antioch. It's simple to put that together. See, we're not making up a thing. Okay, that's not. That doesn't come from any of our thoughts. These are God's thoughts. That's what we want. God's thoughts. Open it up and see for yourself. Notice that to become a disciple, one doesn't follow some emotional response to the Lord. One doesn't, from his emotional stance in life, have a favorable feeling toward God and then all of a sudden declare himself a Christian. Neither, neither is one asked to say a prayer in order to become a Christian. That's not what we read here, is it? Okay. What if one refuses to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? then that person does not become a disciple nor a Christian. Okay. Now let's turn over together to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and see a similar pattern here. 1 Corinthians 1, this is Paul's rebuke of those wearing human names. But notice how he, he gets uh, to this point, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 1, 12 and 13 he says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Notice his statement, his questions in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Notice how the conditions for salvation are set forth here in verse 13. First, to become a Christian, you've got to accept the fact and appreciate the fact that Jesus was crucified for you. And then secondly, to become a Christian, you must be baptized in the name of Jesus. Okay. Now, to reject either of those disqualifies one from becoming a Christian. Okay. If I'm baptized, but I do not believe in the sacrifice that Jesus did for me on the cross, I'm not a Christian. If I believe in the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us on the cross, but I'm not baptized in his name, as the Bible teaches, then I'm not a Christian. See? And so notice this from 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 10 through 13. Now run back with me uh, to 1 Peter 4. Notice some similar terms, or what we might say, uh, terms that are equal in value. First Peter 4, we've, we, we have referred to verse 16. I'm going to read verse 16 along with um, 
17 and 18. Here we go. 1 Peter 4, 16 through 18. Yet if anyone suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins first with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now notice how that the word Christian is equivalent to being in the house of God. Okay. Christians are in the house of God. But we know from 1 Timothy 3.15 that the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So Christians are in the house of God or, another way of saying the same thing, they're in the church of God. Okay. We, also know, we also know from just a simple reading of Scripture like 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the church is the body of Christ. Church is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Okay. The church is the body of Christ. And then from another simple reading, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we read, For we are all baptized into the one body. And so this fits the other scenarios. This fits the pattern that we've seen from Matthew 28. And in First Peter, or rather First Corinthians 1, 10 to 13. And now we see it here from First Peter 4 and these other uh, related passages. In addition to that, if you look up First Peter 3:21, the light figure whereinto even baptism does, all, does also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the appeal to God for a good conscience. And so we could go on and on with how to become a Christian. I love um, the idea of disciple. Disciple. Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So as we continue in the Word of God, we find the truth, and in obeying that truth, obeying the gospel, like Peter says, then we can be set free. All right. So what I want to do now is to make this statement, and that is that inherent in the idea of being a Christian is a strong, very strong commitment. No one would dispute that. Now, I want us to think in terms of reaching out to someone who has fallen away from the Lord's body. One thing you can do, and really you ought to do, is to review what we have just reviewed about the name Christian and how to become a Christian. First, review it in your own mind. Because it may very well be that you were not led back at the time of your decision to follow Christ. Perhaps you were not led in the strictly uh, New Testament way of becoming a Christian. Deep down, you may know that. And that may be one hindrance to uh, someone reaching out 
to a lost world is deep down you may think, I don't know that I have really become a Christian. Also, be sure to have in your mind that only because of what we've read together, it is not the case that there are Christians strode out among all the religious groups up and down the streets and alleys of our land. It's just not the case. Okay. It's not the case. We don't say that to be mean-spirited, but just simply it's not honest with our New Testaments to, to say such a thing. And we want to call people to the truth, not to give them some false impression that things are okay with their soul. And so it's a good place to start if someone has fallen away is to kind of review the idea of becoming a Christian, how important that is. It may be right there may be the very problem. Okay? Because in becoming a Christian, it gives you tremendous confidence and assurance that you have truly indeed been forgiven of your sins. Now, becoming a Christian or being a Christian, in, inheriting that is a strong commitment. Now, what I want you to do is um, anyone speak up. Show from Scripture or from some principle of Scripture how this is the case, that in being a Christian, it's not just about becoming a Christian, but it's about remaining strong. That one is not really a Christian unless he has a very strong commitment. How do, we, how do you show that? Okay. How do you prove that? from different passages in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. All right, Mike brings up 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Good verse there. Uh, be uh, steadfast, it says, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. So notice that. That, that indicates a very strong commitment. Be steadfast. Unmovable. That's a good one. Appreciate that, Mike. What else would you share? What shows that it's not just about becoming a Christian, but making a strong commitment that lasts? How can you show that? What comes to you, man? Revelation 2.10. All right. What is Revelation 2, verse 10? Be thou faithful unto death, to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Another good one to underscore, both in our Bibles and in our hearts. What might you add to what we've said so far? What is it that... that comes to your mind that shows this is not just some sort of mere confession we make, but it's something that becomes your life. An endearing commitment. Okay. Peter talks about in Acts chapter 5, Brother Jerry saying, about suffering as a Christian. Okay. And Peter and John were let go. They had been 
taken in custody by some of the Jewish officials. They had nothing to hold them on. But before they released them, they beat them. And then they went forward rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. There's that name again. They were, they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. That's a good reference there. Acts 5, 40-42. And they went back and to what they were doing. They ceased not to teach and preach Jesus from publicly and house to house. Okay, Mark brings up another commitment verse, James 2.17, that faith without works is dead, being alone, being by itself. Many people leave faith all by itself. They don't add the commitment, they don't add the obedience that needs to be tied in with a belief in Christ. 2 Peter 3, 18, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Good way to end these books. Excellent way. Excellent way of ending a book. Going back to the word disciple. Okay. Because I think there's more in that word than what we can possibly explain in one night. I encourage you to study it out. Certainly, because Jesus says in John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, notice the word continue, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. We are first disciples of the Lord. We continue in that word, continue growing in that word. But notice this statement of from Jesus about being a disciple. Luke 14.33. Luke 14.33. Someone read that. Luke 14.33. Luke 14.33. I want to see what your Bible says. Okay, whoever it is of you... Jerry's reading for us, who does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now, you see how that this thing about being a Christian is more than just mere words. Okay. The some of the other translations there in Luke 14, 33, not they don't just have forsake, they use the word renounce. Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So Brent's bringing up 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We are not our own. Uh, we have been bought with a price. And so the idea here is that um, every day now that we're a Christian, it's not what we desire, but what Christ desires. That's a, that's a good comment. Now that leads us to another thing about being a, the word Christian. Okay, 
Brent brings up there from 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that we are not our own. The last few letters of the, of the word Christian, I-A-N, means a belonging to. Okay? Belonging to something. A devote, someone devoted to a movement. Someone devoted to a cause. An illustration of this is found in Matthew 22 and verse 15 and 16. You'll want to, to have this reference. It's a good way of, of talking about being a Christian. Matthew 22, 15 and 16, where it's interesting, uh, there's a reference made there to the Herodians. Herodians. The Herodians are those who belong to the movement that really loved the dynasty of Herod, all the Herods. Okay. We look at all the Herods as being evil, but there were some in that day who loved those guys and who followed those guys and who would give their lives. They were devoted to the Herods and the dynasty of the Herods. Okay. Interesting there, it says the disciples of the Pharisees got together with the Herodians in order to try to bring down Jesus. Doesn't wickedness make strange bedfellows? You know, there's disciples of the Pharisees, strict Jews, getting together with the Herodians, of all people, in order to tempt Jesus, accuse Jesus. But that shows us the IAN idea. To be a Christian is to belong to Christ, to be devoted to Him, to be willing to follow Him every day, wherever He would have us to go. Okay. So that gets into the, com the huge commitment that is inherent in becoming a Christian. Anyone else want to comment along these lines? Well, the disciple must be a learner, and that's a daily action. Okay. A disciple must be a learner, and that's a continual daily action. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus says, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that actually, the, the um, original idea there is into the possession of. Into the possession of. And that's, that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 is talking about. We become not our own from that point on. And that is something that needs to be taught to one who is thinking about becoming a Christian. Okay. Counting the cost. Do you know what you're getting into? So often, folks don't understand the, the strong commitment that's expected and it must be there. Okay. Well, let's read that together. Romans 8, verse 6. Ken... Making reference. Go ahead, Ken. Read that. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay. To be carnally minded is death, leads to spiritual death. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life, life and peace. Okay. So that's part of that commitment to be spiritually minded from that point on. Okay. To be carnally minded, fleshly minded takes us in the wrong uh, direction.
All right. Verse 12, same chapter, Romans 8, verse 12. To live by the deeds of the flesh is to die. And what was the last part of that? If by the Spirit you put to death the, the misdeeds of the body, then you shall live. That continually commitment. You're not all you need to be once you're baptized. That's the beginning of a tremendous growth process. Okay. But the commitment must be made. And then you continually put to death the deeds of the flesh so we can enjoy life and peace. So inherent in, in all these verses is that strong commitment and the fact that we belong to Christ. It makes complete sense because we are bought with a price which makes us now servants, slaves of Jesus. And so that's our mindset from that, that point onward. We are slaves. We're servants. He is our, he's our master. Going back to Jerry's comment, which which is an entire night's discussion and then some, one of the, well, one of Peter's tremendous thoughts is, are we willing to suffer for Christ under the name Christian? All throughout Peter's epistle, 1 Peter, reference again and again about suffering for Christ. This is not common suffering. Suffering for Christ is not the same type of suffering everybody else is experiencing from sicknesses and from just the common aggravations of of life on earth, but specifically says, are we willing to suffer for Christ? And so that kind of reference is made all throughout. He says after verse 16 in 1 Peter 4, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. I've contemplated that verse. I'm not sure I know what that means. Exactly. I don't know that it's referring to the judgment day. Okay. Because look what he's saying. He said it's time. Okay, I don't think he's thinking of time in, in a chronological fashion there. He's saying there's a season here. Okay. The the original word for time He's talking about tick-tock of the clock. It's chronos. But here, 1 Peter 4.17 is another word, kairos, which means like a season of opportunity or a season that has purpose. The time is here where there's going to be judgment on the house of God. And he could be referring to, and I just want to study this out a little bit more, and you, you do the same. He could be referring to the fiery trials that were coming upon the Christians at that, at that time. And judgment in the sense, upon the Christians, judgment in the sense of God is, is, can use these trials to help you uh, grow. He can use these trials uh, to help you come out stronger on the other side. Okay. And he could be looking to the Christians who have not yet decided if they're going to be strongly committed or not, he, he may have been looking at them saying, it's time to decide. Okay. Are you going to be the real deal or are you going to be fake news? Okay. If any man suffer as a Christian, 
let him not be ashamed. And there was a fiery trial coming upon the Christians in that day. This was the day of Nero. And then uh, tremendous persecution. A lot of false accusations against the Christians in those days. Peter is writing to those who are experiencing that in real time. Appreciate so much uh, going through these ideas about being a Christian. Our goal in, for ourselves and for anyone else is that we would all be committed, strong, deep down in our soul, committed Christians. That's the goal for all of us. That's the goal in bringing someone to Christ or bringing someone back uh, to Christ. We'll take just a couple minutes break. Appreciate you being in class.